درود به مردم شریف ایران من شهریار افشار هستم میزبان شما در برنامه پالیتیکس 365 هر هفته ما یک گفتگوی جدید با شخصیت برجسته سیاست حقوق حقوق بشر تجارت تکنولوژی و اکتیویست های فعال در سراسر دنیا به توجه شما میرسانیم اگر مایل هستین ما خوشحال میشیم پیامتون رو دریافت کنیم با تماس با 858 444 6506 یا info@politics365.com با امید ایران آزاد بریم دنبال برنامه امروز خوش اومدین به politics365 ما برنامه‌مون امروز با یکی از کارشناسای برجسته در زمینه خاورمیانه آقای اریک لوب در فلوریدا انٹرنشنال یونیورسیتی صحبت می‌کنیم درباره روابط ایران به با کشورهای خاورمیانه و واقعا این چند تا حرکتایی که رئیس جمهور ایران و ایران واقعا پیگیری کرده در آفریقا و خاورمیانه دلیلشون چیه هدفشون چیه به کدوم نتیجه میخوام برسن و آقای اریک لوب یکی از کارشناس هاست تو این زمینه که برنامه ما پیبسته قبل از که به گفتگویمون بریم میخواستم یک برنامه ای رو اعلام کنم برای همه دوستان که تا اونجایی که میتونن توانی شدن حتما شرکت کنن دوست دوستای دیگه من در, در این جنبش ملی یه برنامه تایی دیدن Women Life Freedom جلوی United Nations Plaza 777 United Nations Plaza روز September 14 This is an art and film festival و چند تا دوستانمون خانم مرجان کیپور و خانم شیرین تابر و خانم انیلا علی این دوستان از گروه های Alliance for Rights of All Minorities خانم مرجان کیپور شیرین تابر از Empower Women Media و خانم انیلا علی American Muslim and Multi-Faith Women's Empowerment Council این سه تا گروه با هم دیگه پیوستن برای این برنامه خیلی مهم موقعی که سازمان ملل برنامه‌شون تعیین می‌کنن گره همای سالانه‌شون در یونایتد نیشنز نیویورک سپتامبر 14 امسال اگه میتونیم برسین به این برنامه حتما من توصیه می‌کنم به این برنامه خیلی مهم برسین شرکت کنین حمایت کنین از این دوستان و این برنامه خیلی مهم اگه اینفورمیشن دارین این برنامه می‌خواید میتونین به وبسایت امپاور ویمن میدیا مراجعه کنین یا گوگل کنین Empower Women Media و بیشتر دیتیل درباره این برنامه در سپتامبر 14 در نیویورک میتونین پیدا کنین آنلاین خب بریم دنبال گفتگون با آقای اریک لوب اریک thank you so much for joining our program really appreciate it I really appreciate reading about your insights uh, of Iran's relationship uh, in the Middle East uh, relationships in the Middle East and Africa I think a lot of people have a lot of questions as to what does it mean? Uh, what are they up to? Are they trying to protect the regime and its interests at all costs? Do they see the forces of uh, the global politics, geopolitics closing in? What is Iran's end game with these recent um, kind of forays, diplomatic forays into Africa and most recently with Saudi Arabia? Uh, if you could just quickly give us a quick introduction about your role Uh, at the university, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so, yes, I'm an associate professor of politics and international relations at Florida Inter uh, International University um, and a non-resident scholar with the Middle East Institute Iran program in Washington. 
So uh, yeah, go ahead. Tell tell us a little bit more about the recent article that you wrote or you you, you were interviewed for Iran visiting the Iranian president visiting Kenya and then Saudi Arabia. I mean, are these related? Are they all part of some strategic move by Iran? What do you think? Well, I've actually, so I have an article that'll be coming out with the Stimson Center uh, shortly analyzing uh, President Raisi's trip to Africa, specifically the three countries on his tour, uh, Kenya, Uganda, and Zimbabwe, which interestingly uh, come um, a week or two after his his tour of, of Latin America and specifically countries, uh, Nicaragua, three countries as well. Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela that are also uh, uh, under U.S. All, that are all, I should say, under uh, U.S. sanctions, uh, and so uh, you know he's kind of on this tour in the global south, which was largely neglected by his predecessor, uh, President Hassan Rouhani, to shore up friendships that that Iran has and even to try to strengthen them. Uh, and so I, I think it's just part of this this tour, the global south, starting with Latin America now Africa, and we'll see where he goes next. You know, that's a very good uh, point. Uh, ignored by the predecessor, maybe it was a matter of political timing, but I think most Iranians look at any kind of rapprochement Iran makes with other countries as suspect. There's some hidden agenda uh, that favors Iran's uh, uh, Iran's uh, self-preservation, I'm gonna say, this is my words, self-preservation agenda. Uh, uh, under new political dynamics. Well, sure, and I, I think uh, I mean not just Iran, but I think a, a lot of these these states and incumbent elites. The primary objective is is regime survival, their own survival, uh, trying to shore up domestic legitimacy, trying to establish and expand uh, partnerships and alliances in inside and outside their region. And particularly given the pressure that Iran's been under since 2018 in particular, or even prior to that with the election of, of uh, Donald Trump, with the U.S. maximum pressure campaign, withdrawing from the JCPOA, reimposing sanctions against Iran, uh, not to mention the, the waves of, the, of protests that are happening inside the country since 2017 that have gained an in intensity and frequency. Uh, this regime, I feel like, feels like it's on its heels, uh, feel like it's been backed into a corner domestically, regionally, and internationally, and, and is looking for for friends anywhere where it, it can find them. Uh, you know, of course, first and foremost, the, the counterpowers to the United States, Russia and China, uh, which also has relationships with some of Iran's regional rivals, and then smaller, let's say, middle powers in the in um, in the the global South, Latin America, Africa, and elsewhere. Right. So, I mean, what can Iran hope to get from these African visits? I mean, is there any economic value? Are they going to try to? I mean, honestly, every time Iran goes in in their Middle East region, they try to send money to build a mosque like a shia mosque or something that's like that's their version of economic development giant multi-million dollar mosques in iraq and elsewhere what do they hope to gain by these african visits well we could talk about it in terms of economics geopolitics ideology and culture you mentioned mosques i mean that's uh, certainly on the agenda but in a more limited way because the three countries kenya uganda zimbabwe they are christian majority countries 
And they do have some Shia, particularly Kenya uh, and, and Uganda. There are some uh, pockets of, let's say, of Shia in those countries. And there are, let's say, limited uh, marginal inroads that, that Iran can make culturally, religiously, ideologically in those areas. But it has to be very cautious about how it proceeds in that area. And it's going to have limited traction, given, again, the unfavorable demographics, Christian majority countries, the competition it even has in that area with other states uh, like Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and, and others. And the, the, the focus of the, of the visit to, the, to those three countries was really first and foremost economic. So for, um, for Kenya, that makes a lot of sense because consistently looking at the trade data since the 1960s to 2018, pre and post revolution, Kenya has consistently been the, uh, the Islamic Republics or Iran's uh, predating the revolution, uh, second largest trading partner after South Africa. Uh, Kenya actually exports its largest glo global export tea to Iran, and it imports from Iran petroleum, chemicals, and carpets and other products. So there's uh, a lot to gain in the area of trade between uh, Iran and Kenya. Uganda and Zimbabwe, much smaller trading partners, particularly Zimbabwe, which has always been at the bottom of the list. But there are there is commercial value there. So both Uganda and Zimbabwe are the sites of uh, Iranian uh, automobile and tractor production lines. Um, Iran has exported uh, tractors to Uganda. Um, it's also involved with Uganda in extraterritorial cultivation. So when Raisi was there uh, last week, he was visiting the farms and fields of those areas, particularly as Iran confronts desertification and drought. It needs to find arable land outside of Iran to, to produce uh, and export uh, crops and, and foodstuffs. Um, and then finally, um, and I, I guess the, that covers the, the major economic areas, um, you know, in terms of trade, agriculture and industry. Right. No, that, thank you for that explanation. That personally, I'm always interested in the trade, uh, you know, uh, in the business relationships, because, you know, we got to follow the money. Uh, what, where is what is the you know politics will follow, but follow the money and probably they're trying to make a diplomatic uh, uh, bridge building to look you know nothing makes you look more presidential or legitimate than political right conversations and even if those three smaller African countries you know are are not may not be global players they're still all Iran could uh, probably get to receive them because Europe won't receive them right uh, politically so. Um, this is it. Uh, this is all they can do for now. Um, let's turn to Saudi Arabia, because when when some of that rapprochement was happening, I think just uh, politically regional tectonic shift in world politics. I mean, if Iran is willing to or Saudi Arabia, they're, they're both willing to tolerate each other. There's something more at play. Uh, is it MBS trying to make a play? I mean, who's who's really gaining from that relationship, you think? I mean, I think both sides are gaining. Uh, as I said, uh, Iran, um, despite the rhetorical and even uh, action-oriented bravado that it may display at times, uh, is is under a lot of pressure. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, it's under a lot of international pressure from the U.S. maximum pressure campaign. It's under a lot of domestic pressure, uh, given the, the protests that have occurred since 2017. And another area I did mention is that it's, it feels like it's really on its heels and, and it feels threatened 
by uh, a, a, um, an, an expanding U.S.-Israeli-Arab alliance in the form of the Abraham Accords that were consummated at the end of the presidency of, of Donald Trump. And so to counter that, it uh, was able, and it, it had already been involved in bilateral talks with Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, um, particularly as tensions started to heat up in the beginning of maximum pressure, uh, tanker seizures, and uh, you know, really culminating in the 2019 drone and missile attack on Saudi oil fields. Uh, the Saudis and the Emiratis really wanted to reach out to Iran. So those, just like the Abraham Accords, there was already a lot of informal relations between Israel and the Arab Gulf countries. China basically finalized something that was already in the works. And I think given the pressure that Iran's under, I think given the instability that has been occurring in the region, on the, on the, in the Persian Gulf, with Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and other countries, um, it's in their best interest to try to promote stability. I mean, again, it's going to be a challenge. There's still a lot of distrust and suspicion uh, and bad blood. And they and they have now uh, China as as the second largest uh, rising global power uh, to 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 give them uh, security and economic guarantees uh, as as really the ultimate mediator after the U.S. in in those negotiations. Not to mention, not to not to mention, dialing down tensions in Yemen as well, um, which is to the benefit of the Saudis and the Emiratis. Right. Thank you. Fantastic synopsis of a lot of complicated events happening in, in recent months. Uh, you mentioned China and the security uh, guarantees, and I tell you, in the community, once it was announced that Iran had, many people felt given away land and economic value to China. I mean, people were outraged, you know, that they, they, they probably understood why Iran was doing it. And again, in self-preservation, but to, uh, you know, to sign away some of those deals. I mean, what can you tell us about what those deals were about and uh, what does it really mean? Uh, because it, a lot of people in the community are just uh, shocked. At, they, they feel like their heritage has been given away. Let's just put it that way. Understood. Uh, of course, there's national pride and 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 sovereignty and integrity at, at stake for Iran, and given its proud history uh, and and nationalism. Uh, and uh, you know, prior to the 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 past spring in March for the China brokered agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, uh, the uh, Iran and China had actually signed a 25 year cooperation plan. Um, and it did so with Venezuela and other countries as well, 20 to 25 year cooperation plans. And scholars and analysts are still trying to dissect those plans. They're, they're not transparent. We don't have all the details. And, you know, on the one hand, China has been an economic lifeline for Iran since maximum pressure. And to some extent, Russia as well. Uh, the U.S. policies of maximum pressure whether you agree with them or not, have, have driven uh, Iran, a country, the Islamic Republic in particular, that's predicated on this foundational principle of neither East nor West, has been pushed eastward into the arms and sphere of influence of, of China and Russia. And, and the relationship is not straightforward. Uh, the, um, the Iranians and the Russians, uh, ironically, given that they're both under sanctions now, and cooperating in the war on in Ukraine, are both forced to compete for uh, low low price oil exports to China. So China is actually really benefiting from this, 
this arrangement from uh, from U.S. sanctions in terms of being able to import uh, low cost oil, uh, petroleum, uh, which is obviously an important asset for China uh, as it uh, continues to uh, to you know try to strengthen its economy, although it's struggling in, in the wake of the zero COVID policy. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, there. Th this is not a straightforward relationship by any means, and like I said. China also has partnerships and uh, relationships with Iran's rivals in the in the region, uh, as does Russia. Um, as we saw, there was a controversial statement that the the Russians made involving the GCC and disputed islands between G, uh, GCC states and Iran. So there's always opportunities, but also constraints and tensions in those relationships. And the last thing I'll say too is, you know, having lived in Iran already ten years uh, over ten years ago. I remember that Iranians on the streets were ambivalent, let's say, at, at, at best about the relationship with China and even Russia, which is not a natural ally of Iran, given the uh, historic humiliations and concessions that it had to give up to Russia, which had occupied northern Iran at one point. Um, and, and, you know, Iranians developed a word, an adjective, chini, for, for cheap products that they didn't want, that were flooding the Iranian market from China. So, so what's interesting about these alliances on the surface, they may be, they may seem like they're in lockstep, but below the surface, there's a lot of complications, nuances, and, and tensions. Right. And, you know, I think you also uh, summarized it extremely well uh, that essentially in politics, the, what is it? The enemy of my enemies is, is my friend, uh, you know? So uh, all these Maximum pressure politics and sanctions have pushed Iran into the arms of uh, countries that they wouldn't ordinarily or naturally have an alliance with. Uh, and uh, it also creates a backdoor to the sanctions. Uh, you know, uh, one thing Zarif said, Foreign Minister Zarif said, is they're experts at getting around sanctions, his words. Um, so, you know, that's just something that it's very hard to, it's very hard to contain Iran uh, for all these reasons. Um, as we're coming to a close, any final words uh, about what we should expect in the next six months uh, in Iran's relationships? Well, you know, just to add, the Iranians, obviously, after four decades, have become experts at circumventing sanctions. And that's also what they're looking for with their, you know, quote unquote, friends in the global south, even though those countries have um, limited uh, possibilities or things that they can offer Iran and vice versa, given Iran's uh, geopolitical and economic con constraints. You know, we shouldn't be over optimistic in terms of what they can offer each other and how far it could go. But they do, they do look to each other, particularly when both sides are under sanctions, like Iran and Zimbabwe, Iran and Venezuela, right. uh, in terms of forming banking relationships, financial relationships, um, trying to um, facilitate transactions in other currencies so they, they can circumvent sanctions. And as you said, symbolically show solidarity against U.S. quote-unquote imperialism and hegemony, hegemony in their region, respective regions, and in the globe. Um, and the other thing that's interesting, too, is aside from exporting drones to Russia and other technology to be used in Ukraine, they're also exporting their expertise to Russia in terms of advising it how it in itself can, can circumvent and counteract U.S. sanctions, um, as they do with other countries. So, Wow, so wow they're, they're that's amazing. That. What an export, yeah. uh, the, the, how to uh, circumvent law. 
Uh, Eric Lobb, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've learned so much. We've gone all, all around the world. Uh, we Please, please come back. There's so much more we can learn from you. Dustan, in Barnabé Payam, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, September 14th, Hamin Emsal, New York, Women Life Freedom Art and Film Festival, Barre Information, I'm going to say, Empower Women Media. وبسایت اونام مراجعه کنین و تا اونجا که میتونین به تو این برنامه شرکت کنین و حمایت کنین. اریک لاب، thank you so much. خیلی خوشحال شدم. موفق باشید. مرسی.